It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who were cheering on Mr. Pfizer or his opponent <laughs> rather than Mr. J and J. Okay, I don't know how to parse that statement, but <laughs> this two, <laughs> non, two non-sports ballers bringing up sports ball. Yeah, this is dangerous territory. It is. It's okay. It'll work out. <laughs> My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician here in Des Moines, Iowa, at Blink Jones Hospital, and also chair of our state coalition, Iowa Immunizes. Woohoo! All right, one of the best coalitions around. The best. <laughs> the best one in Iowa, anyhow. <laughs> True. All right. Well, we've got a great show for you. We invited NBC News reporter Brandy Zadrozny on to sort of talk to us about the anti-vaccine musings of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., current presidential candidate and one-time environmental lawyer. Yeah, if you saw that ad that he ran during the Super Bowl and then pinned it to the top of his Twitter feed and apologized for how much it hurt his family, you're going to want to listen to this podcast, this interview. Right. To get the full flavor of exactly who this gentleman is. Absolutely. But before we do that, let's uh, turn to our Around the Web. And I will just go ahead because I kind of brought it up in our opening here. Apparently... Aaron Rodgers Hmm. wants us to remember COVID and the COVID vaccine stuff because of everything that happened to him. And here's the direct quote. Look at my situation. I lost friends, allies in the media, millions of dollars of sponsorship. So poor Aaron Rodgers. I feel for the guy. Yeah, for being anti-vaccine and people being upset at him. Yeah, I think there's a really easy way that that could have not happened. (laughs) (laughs) There's actually two. He had two choices. Yeah. He could have gotten vaccinated or he could have just not gone on Joe Rogan 15 times and talked about how much he hates the vaccine. Amazingly easy things to do, to to like do or not do, depending on your point of view. Yeah, just like for those Absolutely. Well, and I did tweet today, like, you know, I'm no, no football expert, but it does. And, and I am sure glad that I recognize that correlation does not equal causation, or I'd probably be out there spouting off misinformation about how the vaccinated guy did really well in the football and the unvaccinated guy did not so well in the football. It's true. We, we wouldn't say that and mean it. No. We might say it because we thought we were funny, but we wouldn't mean it. So that's actually funny. Yeah. Yeah. And then I found this other tweet, which is not going viral or or anything. It has 84 views. So it's not this big of a deal of a tweet, but it was in response to this. And I really, I, I thought it was really poignant. It's about what people have actually lost to COVID and it's COVID diaries by healthcare workers. But what it is, is this 29 year old guy who started a food truck business, had several food trucks, got COVID twice, lost everything, is now unhoused, 
second time he probably got COVID was in the shelter and he's had strokes. Again, he's 29 years old and been to the ER multiple times and likely has long COVID. So, you know, we, we make fun of Aaron Rodgers for feeling bad about everything he lost to COVID, but it's really one of those times when you have to remember that people have lost a lot to COVID, including their lives, including their loved ones, but even people who survived COVID lost a lot, um, a lot more than their media allies and millions of dollars of sponsorships. So I just wanted to put that out there. Seemed important since there was the season finale of Taylor Swift's boyfriend happening that we should bring up his main opponent for some reason. And again, not saying that the vaccine caused Taylor Swift's boyfriend to win for real, but, you know, Mm -hmm. implying it for fun. Yeah. There it is. I don't know. I think if they can say all these other things that correlation equals causation, I'm like, well, okay, then you got to go, got to take that to its logical conclusion. Absolutely. For fun. For fun. Well, for them, it's serious. So they got to be consistent. That's true. That's true. All right. What do you have for me? Well, I'm a little worried that I keep doing a similar theme each time. And I, I can't remember what I talked about last time on around the web, but this came up. I do feel like I talk a lot about, hey, we have even more data to show how great the HPV vaccine is from my around the web. But I think this latest study is particularly nice to talk about. Uh, And again, I don't think I talked about it last time because it came out. It was published January. I worry that it was possibly in the news before that. But either way, I'm going to talk about it again. We're going to talk about how there was a study in Scotland that looked at all of the women born between 1988 and 1996. And then they looked at all of them who got their at least one dose of their HPV vaccine on time, which in Scotland, I believe is age 12 or 13. And regardless of number of doses that this cohort got, there were zero cases of cervical cancer as of the time of this study, which was in, they did the, they pulled the data in 2020. And if they had gotten a dose of the vaccine later than that, if they got it between 14 to 22 years of age and got all three doses of the vaccine or the recommended number of doses of vaccine, there's still a significant decrease in cervical cancer in this cohort that I believe was about on the order of 70% decrease if I'm doing quick math. People who are better at studies can like bonk me on the head and say, no, you did that wrong. But it was a significant decrease. So we are moving into the time in which we're getting real, real data on cervical cancer because we're getting long enough out from when the vaccine came out that we can look at, you know, yeah, we're not the, the, the most of the people who got the vaccine when they were, you know, who have gotten the vaccine are not in the age group now where they are the highest risk of getting cervical cancer, but there's enough people that are getting old enough that we can see actual cancer, particularly cervical cancer, as the endpoint to look at. And it's just very dramatic. Zero cases if you got a dose of the vaccine when you were 12 or 13 years of age. And also, I think it's worth mentioning that that also demonstrates some strong evidence that just one dose of the vaccine is effective, like very effective. And so it's important to get all your doses, but one dose does it. 
the more I talk about this, the more I think that I've talked about this before. No, I don't think you talked about this particular <laughs> okay, maybe study. maybe it's somewhere else. There's, there is a lot of data coming out about HPV vaccines and how amazing they are. Just, you know, this incredible health burden from HPV and what we can do with vaccination is, is I don't think we can talk about it too much. Yeah. My first reaction to that was 1988. Aren't those people just like 20 years old now? No, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> they are not. They are older than that. Okay. I, I don't want to do the math for you because it might be too shocking. Yeah, I might cry. Yeah. That's all right. I know I know you think the nineties were like ten years ago, but I mean I'm wearing I'm wearing a flannel shirt today. Yeah. <laughs> I think the nineties are now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. The other thing is that yeah. people Welcome might... to Vaxstock, Vaxstock where you can come as you are, as you were, as we want you to be. <laughs> exactly. The other thing I'm thinking is that people are saying, well, why isn't ACIP taking up this information and changing the schedule to just one dose? And the really important thing to remember is that the FDA has to license it for one dose before ACIP can take it up and talk about it with the schedule. And for the FDA to take it up, the manufacturers have to submit that data to FDA. So it's a long process. I know people are used to how quickly things happened with COVID, but that was a miracle. Mm -hmm. And this is a normal times vaccine. So, you know, you got to make your own decisions on that. It's a normal times vaccine. So we're back to normal times FDA and ACIP. Even though, actually, I might have another around the web. Can I do that? You, you, you come back, and I'm going to say one more thing. Okay. You know, one of the things that we do have, though, is that uh, you do only need two doses if you get your first dose before your 15th birthday, if mm-hmm. I'm remembering correctly, and three doses if you get it after you turn 15. So that's really nice. But I think really it's important for providers to know. Like, you know, if you can get that one dose – for an adolescent, that's a win. Hundred percent, absolutely. That is great for providers to know and good information. Hopefully, they're getting that information because, again, that's not coming through FDA or ACIP. So, it's coming through Vax Talk, though. Yeah, we'll keep talking about it. Cutting edge medical research here at Vax Talk. Speaking of ACIP, just one more note. Stat News came out with a report that out of 15 voting Mm. seats on ACIP, Mm -hmm. seven are filled. There are eight empty seats, and we don't do any sort of political lobbying legislative work. But I'll just say, if that shocks you and makes you upset, it would be the time for you to get in touch with the powers that be who will listen to you and say, hey, this isn't great. You know, I would actually start looking into that myself, but we have an Iowan on committees. So I I think I can sit this one out and let him do his fantastic work. Anyhow, the the big thing is that we obviously we want this board to be full. The work that they do is a lot. We don't want to overburden seven people. It certainly is at least 15 voting members worth of work. And so, you know, we encourage you to do whatever you can on that front and also, you know, be aware. Sometimes just knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. Thank you. And with that, we when we return, we will talk to Brandy Zadrozny. Mm-hmm. 
We are now joined by the future author of a cookbook about how miserable it is to cook for your children. And also a person who I imagine when she walks into the office, people turn and scurry the other way out of pure fear because of her greatness. Uh, One-time librarian, Brandy Zadrozny. Hi, y'all. I'm so happy to be here. And you also, your job is to be an investigative reporter at NBC News, correct? That is true. That is what it says on my contract. I am an investigative reporter for NBC News. Fantastic. So we brought you here today because there's all sorts of interesting things that you have learned about our presidential candidate, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his foray into vaccines. In fact, you took a hike with him in May and I would like to ask you what it's like hiking with someone who is such a prolific purveyor of vaccine misinformation. I love a hike. And so when I, I had been trying to interview him for a little while, I wanted to do a profile on him. Um, and I thought that I wouldn't be able to interview him. I have been barred from certain conferences. I have been at, people generally in the anti-vaccine um, industry know who I am. Uh, so not that that's something to brag about, but they do. And so um, I'm really not so welcome in these spaces. But his campaign manager, for her credit, said, you know, you're we're not going to let you go to certain places with him. You can't just hang out with him, which is how you'd normally do a profile. You can't hang out with him for days or anything. But we'll give you a couple hours. Do you like to hike? And I said, boy, do I. And so I um, went out to LA and he lives in a very beautiful home with his movie star, his television star wife, Cheryl Hines. And he took me on this hike that he takes every morning with his dogs. And the hike itself was really lovely. And, you know, I will say too, that in terms of like places where you want to be with someone who's kind of an adversarial interview, can't do much better than a hike. It was kind of brilliant. And, and I ended up forming the piece talking about the walk up the mountain and then the metaphorical and actual, you know, climb down. You know, I, I loved reading that piece. Like a lot of interviews with him, you really start to see where he's confident and where he's less confident speaking and where he starts to say things that, because you can tell he's trying to not be like the anti-vax president, or at least he was, or the anti-vax candidate. But then you can see where that starts to leak around the margins. But then he made Del Bigtree his comms guy. What is up with that? How do you try to, in any way, be like a reasonable, no, I'm not anti-vaccine kind of person, and then hire Dell? Any idea? For me, that was like the mask off moment, right? Yeah. I was like, okay, now we can call this thing what it is. This is the anti-vaccine campaign. At first, his campaign manager was Dennis Kucinich who is a famous congressman and, and presidential loser. And he, he's very anti-war. But when Kennedy came out sort of in support of Israel and the Israel-Gaza war, Dennis Kucinich basically left the campaign. And so I think he was sort of in this moment where he moved his daughter-in-law, who seems to share his views on lots of things. So moved her up. She is now the campaign manager. And Stephanie Spear, it should say, who was his director of communications, is also the person who was in charge of Children's Health Defense, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s organization. She was in charge of the Defender, which is the blog for that 
group. So she's, she was part of it too. And then Dell comes along and now it's like, well, everybody is just associated with the anti-vaccine movement. And I, I thought he was smart at first when he announced, because he really was, he didn't say vaccine once in his announcement, which was in Philadelphia, I think, or Boston, uh, Boston. And when I was watching that as a news person, I was just like, this is, this is terrible. Like if he can get away with this, that's really bad for everyone because whether you agree with him or not, and most thinking people don't, but he has a charm to him. He has the Kennedy name. He has a famous wife that's on the trail with him. There are lots of things that normal people, you know, would like about him. And that to me was incredibly dangerous. And so, you know, from my point of view as a reporter, what I have said and what have said internally to, to all the great colleagues that I work with is that we just had to keep pressing him at every possible moment about vaccines. And the way that I thought of it was like, because reporters like to break news, right? Reporters like to share new things. And for people who are very plugged in, it can feel like, well, everybody knows that he is an anti-vaxxer. That's not interesting to us anymore. And yet the people who are being polled consistently say they don't know anything about Kennedy except that he's a Kennedy. And so our job was to constantly bang that drum and and I just thought that was so important. What I likened it to was, you know, if David Duke is running for president, you don't stop asking him about his ties to white supremacy. You don't stop asking him about, you know, being in effect a Nazi, because that is the only thing that matters when so much is on the line. And when, you know, the most famous, the most funded anti-vaccine activist is running for president, that is the most important thing about him and must be said every single time, every single question. I don't care what he would do about taxes, to be honest. Like I care about the health and well-being of children. And that's, yeah, I'm, I'm like a crazy, per- I feel like I'm a crazy person about this. Well, at the same time, though, it's one of those things that if he can believe that about vaccines, what other cuckoo banana things is he hiding in his inside pocket? And we already know he said stuff about like 5G causing cancer and a whole lot of other like out there kind of things is really interesting with the kind of conversations that I've had when I have been on Twitter, when I'm still calling Twitter and then people come in defending him and they don't want to like, they're liking because of one thing or another. And they're really trying to gloss over the vaccine thing. It's very interesting. I almost think that like, it would be great if we like, I like the Joe Rogan, his interview on Joe Rogan, I think was like four hours long. If I'm not mistaken or it just felt four hours long it was multiple hours long and he said the wildest things ever so like i feel like we need more of that i'm glad when people sort of listen to these long podcasts where he talks because he talks about chemtrails right he talks about cellular networks being surveillance plots he talks about you know vaccines he he talked about brain cancer from holding your cell phone up here like that's wild that's wild stuff to say like that's a that's a kook that's a kooky these are kooky worldviews kooky ideas and i feel like the more people are aware of like all of these ideas how vaccines are part and parcel to this entire strange kooky worldview the better off we'll be in in terms of an informed electorate Mm -hmm. He really strikes me as a person who doesn't have other people in his direct life who look at him and say, that's nuts. I mean, I know his siblings have said that publicly, but it feels like he doesn't get, he doesn't get uh, 
pushed on things very often. From seeing what I've seen the last 10 years and from seeing what I saw when I was hiking with him, he definitely has a crew of people around him, right? People at CHD, the people that he writes books with. He has many sort of seeming advisors and people were sort of, after we got off this hike, you know, we went down to his office so he could give me a book that died suddenly book. And he, you know, gave me this book and everyone was just sort of shuffling him around and could just tell that he did see, he seemed very surrounded by his people. And so I, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't imagine he's a man that is stood up to that often. And also, you know, when, you know, when he goes for years and years, when he goes and, and does these talks, right, in front of churches in Harlem, or, you know, the Lancaster PA Amish community, people treat him like he is the Bobby Kennedy, people treat him as if he has done something to warrant this adulation and fandom. And I think it's probably a transference from his uncle and his father. But something happens to you. And I, I, I can I can tell you, when you are as a as a minor F minus celebrity on the internet, like you do get a little in your head, right? When everyone's like, you're so great. You're amazing. Love your pop. Like it gets to you a little bit. I can't even imagine what that might do to his ego. And I do think he is a man with an ego. It does seem to me that prior to going down kind of the vaccine rabbit hole, he was pretty reputable, did some reasonably good things when it came to environmental protections and whatnot. I'm no expert in those areas. But can you tell us a little bit about that transition and what caused him to kind of go down the vaccine rabbit hole and kind of made up his mind about them? Yeah. So I wondered about this a lot. That was like sort of Besides pressing him on, you know, what kind, what, what are the stakes of this man as president in the profile? What I wanted to know is what I think people who've written profiles about Kennedy for the last, you know, 30 years have wanted to know. And it's what happened? Like, what happened to this person who, you know, whether it was his drug use or his relationship with his wife, uh, etc. Like, there was always something that people were just really hoping that he would do well, that he would be the next version of the Kennedy man. And so I, I, I wanted to know, right, like, why would this guy with every opportunity and everybody rooting for him, would he sort of undermine his own legacy and hurt children in the process? I think it's a couple of things. The first thing is when you read his book, American Values, the first paragraph is, and I'm going to have, I don't know it by heart, but the first paragraph is something like, from an early age, I knew that the world was divided into gods and monsters. And for me, as a reporter who studied extremism, I think that lumping the world in that way of good, totally good and totally evil is a dangerous worldview. When you can otherize people and become staunch in your opinions, that is not a safe, good place to be. But I think that, you know... I think he also has always sort of had an affinity for animals and underdogs. And, and so when women came to his speeches and showed him all this vaccine stuff, I think he, as not a scientist, and I can say through reporting as someone who fundamentally misunderstands or misrepresents one of those two things, the science that he does read, I think that, you know, he wanted to believe these women. I think he has a problem with women I think that's well documented that he really enjoys the adulation and the 
attention of women. And I will say, although he likes to say that he's lost all the money that he would have had, he has made a hefty living for himself in the anti-vaccine industry. So all those things together, I think, probably make answer that question of, you know, why he would do this. And, you know, the the interesting thing, too, about him and being in this world is that he comes from a world that I think we could say is definitely privileged. You know, being a Kennedy is is an extreme privilege, but, you know, otherwise pretty normal. There isn't like there there isn't too much out of the ordinary about the thought process in the Kennedy family. Anyhow, I don't think we can point to another Kennedy and say, oh, boy, yeah, those Kennedys. Right. But he has. It, well, maybe he's a few of them. <laughs> but he, but I, I, I think historically there have been a few Kennedy men who've had some of troubles of their own. Yeah, that that is true. And uh, the yeah, it's there's there's history there. But it, what's interesting though is that the the wash of human beings he's decided to put himself into include like Dell that we already covered. By the way, have you ever interviewed Dell? I have interviewed Dell twice, I think. Dell Dell went through this period where, and he said this often on the highway, he's like, I'll talk to anybody. And he really would, even when it was clear that, you know, these articles were not going to be laudatory towards his group, he would talk to you. It got to a point, though, where it's like, as a journalist, you like to think what new information am I going to learn? And so talking to Dell at some point is no longer fruitful in terms of fact finding or the pursuit of truth. So I, I haven't asked to interview him in years. Yeah, that makes sense. So so you've talked to a lot of people. I'm just wondering if we ranked anti-vaxxers, if we had like an anti-vaxxer scale and it went from like almost perfectly normal, regular human to completely off the shelf cuckoo bananas. Like where do you put Dell and RFK Jr. in, in that scale? Oh my gosh. I mean... Everybody's cuckoo bananas. There's no, there's really like just, there's no reason to believe what these folks believe. And I'm just so unmoved by their evidence and have been for so long that it's like everybody, it's just, it's, it's banana. It is bananas. It's bananas right. to believe this stuff. I don't know who. Does one of them out cuckoo the other? And, and maybe think of it, this is how I always think of it, of it. how I feel like of the major anti-vaxxers in the leadership there, there's kind of a spectrum of grifting to true believer, like delusions, right? So I always think about like, at least in my mind, and you can tell me if I've characterized this incorrectly, but if I think of Wakefield, Big Tree, and uh, RFK Jr., I think Wakefield is full-on grifter. He 100% knows what he's doing and everything he does is for money. He's just clearly straight up lying and has been from the beginning. It's well-documented. I feel like Big Tree's in the middle. Like he's uh, he's trying to make a show. I see every once in a while when I watch his show, I don't think he totally buys into everything, but he's going to do it for the show. But then he obviously believes a hunk of what he's saying. And then I feel like at least initially, and I don't know how much this is now, obviously we can point to things that he's doing to to grift, but you know, he initially strikes me as the true believer, like very convinced that what he's doing is right. Does that 
characterization seem like it's accurate anymore? Was it ever? What do you think about that? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was never a great student, right? Like he is not some intellectual. He's just not. He never has been. He likes being outside. He loves animals, which are great, great characteristics. He was never a scholar. He was kicked out of schools, you know, all over the East Coast. He just, he just wasn't. And so I, I tend, and he really does read some of these studies and again, just really misunderstands them. And so, so I think in terms of who believe, it's such a silly question, like, do they believe it? But it's so natural to ask, right? I think that you're right. I think on the spectrum of belief, he is probably pretty high up there. Also, you know, delusion is a hell of a drug, right? And so, so much has like been spent on this that there's no turning back now. As uh, when it comes to him and Dell, you know, I think about I think about the lack of institutional trust and the the rise in it lately. And but when I when you ask people in polls like what are the most trusted occupations? It's doctors and nurses always at the top. And I just like to think about it. And Dr. Paul Offit helped me frame it in this way too. We have a lawyer and a daytime television producer. <laughs> like these are the leaders of the anti-vaccine movement. And it's just so apropos to me. And so it's there, it is very, very grifty to me. I feel like there's sort of a wink with Dell sometimes. But also, didn't he go to like Mexico to get a right. non-vaxxed blood transfusion? So right. like that's pretty deep in the, you know, Delulu world. So I, I, I guess you must believe it. And, but he, oh, no one loves being the Elvis of anti-vaccine world like Dell. He, he truly, truly, you can see him when he gives these speeches, just eats it up. I also have a question about the presidential campaign here. Uh, feels to me, I, I'm trying to figure out what part of the campaign is a genuine effort to, to try to be president? What part of the campaign is an effort to bring anti-vaccine views into the mainstream? Or is it a concerted effort to do both? I asked him several times on our hike, you know, had a moment with him where I was like, come on, just come on. Like, what What are you doing? Basically, like, we are, Is there really a chance here? And I think of all the questions that I asked him, and it got tense at times. That was probably the tensest. And several times, you know, he sort of glared at me, not in a very mean way, but you could tell he was annoyed. And he, you know, said, did you ever think Donald Trump could win? And the answer was no, I actually didn't think at the beginning of Trump's campaign that he was going to win. I thought it was all for show. Now, Trump won the Republican nomination, and it didn't seem like Kennedy isn't a chance to win any sort of nomination. There's been talk of him switching to the Libertarian Party. He was he ran as a Democrat. Now he's independent. He's going to have a hard time getting on the ballot in all of the states. Like It seems like he's probably going to just siphon votes from Trump. And so I think it's very unlikely. Crazy things have happened in this world. It's very unlikely that he will be president. I think he wants to win. And I think that he thinks that there's a reality and there's a world in which he wins. Again, I don't think he will win. And so what I think will happen and what he'll probably take is, you know, the large scale support, just the wind in the sails of this movement that he's built. We've seen, you know, I, I ask for the 990s every time I think they're about to file because they have to give them to you and it's great. And so, and then I write those stories and every single time I get these 990s, they're just astronomical 
increases in their receipts and the money that they're bringing in just millions and millions of dollars. And I, I think that's only going to get worse. I think people are only going to get more invested. I wonder what he's going to do after he loses. Like, is he just going to go back to CHD and I don't know, keep doing what he's doing? Well, maybe there will be another pandemic for him. I'm sure he's looking forward. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe he'll get uh, put in charge of a government agency. You know, I don't know. Trump said nice things about him. So if Trump wins, then and he has said some sort of glowing things about Kennedy, that might be because so many of his supporters also think that this Kennedy's got something to say as so much of the Republican Party has sort of turned towards or leaned towards the anti-vaccine ideologies or because of the isolationist principles that Kennedy also seems to espouse, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, or just the populist messaging, right? So there's there's all of that. But Trump met with him when he won in 2016, right? He met with him. He he talked about he when Trump was a little anti-vaccine himself, he wanted to spread out the shots. He said that he had seen a kid get autism after he got the measles shots. Like he was sort of flirting with it. But then I think that Trump is smart enough that when people that he recognizes are smarter than him when it comes to, you know, vaccines and and epidemiology and, you know, being doctors, like I think he listened and, you know, faced with the Dwight invite Kennedy to be on this, you know, vaccine safety council or to lead this so-called vaccine safety council that Kennedy said he was going to lead in Trump's cabinet. Trump said, thank you very much and never talked to him again. So I, I, I sort of have faith in, in Trump and the way that Trump acted during the pandemic, you know, is it perfect? No, but Operation Warp Speed worked pretty darn well. He seemed like he, you know, he had Fauci, he had Burks, he w- was surrounding himself by experts and, you know, going along with their suggestions. So I, I have a lot of faith in Trump and I, I <laughs> when it comes to vaccines, his vaccine policy, and I think that he is very likely when this election is over to, again, treat Kennedy like he did in 2016, which was to say, thank you very much. I feel almost more so now that that would be the case because he's very in love with his own, what he calls his own vaccine. Like, I do not think he would want somebody who would undermine what he views as one of his big achievements and, and a big campaign point as well. Yeah. And Kennedy's talked crazy stuff about Trump on this and you know said, I would never be his VP. And he, he's, he's not been very kind when it comes to Trump. He's, he's been very talkative about his disagreements with lockdown policies. And, you know, I shouldn't call them lockdown policies, but when he talks about measures to stop the, the spread of the pandemic in the early days. So let's play what if, because as you rightly pointed out, there's RFK Jr.'s shot of winning a presidential election is really none. But let's say he did. And Voices for Vaccines, of course, doesn't endorse or not endorse any candidates. But let's say RFK Jr. wins. What sort of, and I wrote these words down so I could remember them, what sort of dystopian hellscape would be visited upon us? I mean, It's good that we come up with these nice non-loaded questions about politics. (laughs) It's good. As a reporter, it's us. Here's us not endorsing a candidate. Here, but let me let me rephrase that for you. What do you think his uh, vaccine policies would be? Okay, that's much easier for me to answer. <laughs> Kennedy, I asked him this on our hike. I, you know, said, "Let's imagine you do have a chance, right? Let's imagine that you're in office. What would you do differently?" And he, the the 
overarching theme is a basic gutting of the agencies that are current and just uh, outside related groups that are currently tasked with vaccines, the health, uh, communicating science, things like that. So he he has suggested that he will scrap the current very robust safety system through which vaccines go, clinical trials, safety studies, and then the boards and panels that also discuss these studies and then make the determinations for scheduling. He said that those are all gone. What he would do instead is he would appoint people who are unbiased. He has some in mind. He wouldn't tell me who they were, but people that he thinks are more aligned with his worldview into these positions of power. So goodbye, Anthony Fauci. Hello, Del Bigtree or whoever which would not be good because these people are not experts in health or like, hello, Dr. Peter Corey or other doctors who've shown themselves to be quacks. And then, you know, he would also, and the same gutting goes to, you know, National Institutes of Health, the CDC, all of those advisory panels, like those are all gone. The thing that really like made me squirm, if that's not bad enough, was that he said he would basically stop studying infectious diseases. He said, we don't need to study these things. This is when we've just, we're not even through when we're still dealing with the effects of a recent pandemic that shook the world once in a lifetime event. And when experts say more pandemics are coming, just going to happen. And so he would stop studying these things. And instead he would look towards studying prevention. So he would be looking, which we already do, but fine. He said he would give all that money to studying allergies and autism, all of the like big diseases that anti-vaxxers say are caused by vaccines. So it's, he doesn't say the word vaccine, but it's all about vaccines. And then lastly, really worrisome is that he said he would have his attorney general pursue uh, the editors and publishers of medical journals for quote, lying to the public. So basically all the science that he doesn't like, he would weaponize the federal government to go after, investigate, and possibly jail these editors and medical journals. This is like really wild stuff. Uh, that's that's the one, the big ones that I can remember at the moment. So I don't think that my framing that as a dystopian hellscape is completely wrong. Not ideal. Not ideal. Yeah. No. It's it's not the world we want to live in. Is there anything as a journalist that when you're writing about these folks, you do to sort of ground yourself in actual fact and reality so that you don't go like get completely depressed about the state of the world? No. I don't know. These people. I mean, this is the thing. Like 99%, and we've talked about this before, 99% of people who are in any way involved in the anti-vaccine movement are probably nice folks who want the best for their children. I watch CHD TV all the time and you see these people who, Holly, who's in charge of the TV network, she brings these people out and they, she's doing her bus tour and all these people come out and they sit on the bus and they tell their various stories. I've heard vaccine injury has caused a daughter to be gay. I've heard it's, you know, caused deaths that later we learn were actually fentanyl overdoses. Like these, these folks, most of these folks are just 
parents or people now with COVID looking for some kind of answer that makes sense of something that's very sad that's happened to them or their parents or their children. That's really sad. I don't feel, you know, I, I don't think it's funny. I don't think labeling them as kooks or crazy. It's just, it's not funny. It's, it's always sad. So I get angry sometimes <laughs> about the fact that there are a handful of people taking advantage, whether they feel they're doing that or not, that are taking advantage of these people with tragedy and making money off of them and making content off of them. And, you know, and in, in a bigger way, again, endangering the health and the lives of children and babies. I just can't think of a worse thing. And it like will never get old to me or I will never not be shocked by it. I feel driven by this mission to keep banging that drum. So I, I don't really need to ground myself or anything. I just, I think it's so important and I'm, I feel really lucky, honestly, to be able to, to be reporting on these things. So thank you so much, Brandy, for joining us. And if people want to find you on social media and be nice to you, where can they look? I am on everything, and but not very much around X these days, but everything else, I'm at Brandy Zadrazny. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And thank you to all of you for joining us today. Please, if you get a chance, read Brandy's hiking piece about RFK Jr. Follow her on Twitter. Follow her on Twitter. She's a good person to follow. My name is Karen Ernst. I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. You can find me at voicesforvaccines.org. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra. You can find me on the website that I will perpetually call Twitter with the handle of PedsGeekMD. To learn more, visit vaxtalk.org.